you get to a point in your career where you don't need to sit in a room and be pat on the back. If you're confident in what you did, there's only certain people that you should be worried about yourself, first mm-hmm. of all, your financiers, of course, and your producers, okay? And even if your producers aren't happy with it, too bad sometimes. Welcome back to another episode of the Rough Cut Club. I am your host, Joey Nicotra. Super excited to be in the studio today with my good friend, my pal, my business partner, extraordinaire, Shane Reitzammer. Shane, how you doing, bro? Way better now with that big old gas up you just gave me. Bro, you're just, I'm, I'm feeling like this episode is going to be really good. I'm excited for it, and I'm just excited to see you, man. Me too, man. Super excited. Why are you so excited? Dude, I don't know. Today I woke up and I was like, I am choosing for today to be a good day. I got good rest last night. Mm. I feel prepped for my mm. podcast today. I feel, I got to have kava, which if you don't know what kava is and you don't live in Texas, it's bomb Mediterranean food. I'm just feeling... Hey, we're looking for a sponsorship, Kava. Yes, Kava, if you want to sponsor this podcast. Maybe just lunch. That that will work, too. Well, our our guest today is someone who I'm excited to get connected with uh, and meet. I kind of checked out his rap sheet in advance. And what's exciting about today is this is our first guest who we've ever had on on, on the podcast who I don't actually know. Uh, and so, uh, really excited to dive into his story, uh, get connected with more people, and just as a little uh, something to put out there, if you're not, uh, or if you're interested in being in the podcast, there's a way to submit hmm. a form and DM us to get connected, because we want to meet more of you out there. Uh, and so, Brett is paving new grounds right now, but, oh, I spilled the tea already. Got to welcome him to the show. <laughs> Got to give a warm welcome to Brett Bentman, man. Brett. Thank you for being on the show. Awesome. Man. Thanks for having me. It's fun. Yeah. We're excited to have you in the studio. Uh, New Yorker turned Texan. Yes. Yes. Super excited to have a New Yorker on the show <laughs> from the big NY. Uh, we'll see if we pick up any like accents. It's, uh, it's pretty much gone. Yeah. It's, it's mostly gone. It's we've we've gone. had a full conversion on him already <laughs> as Texans. But seasoned feature filmmaker, correct me if I'm wrong, but you have 20 feature films it's, now it's something like that <laughs> that yeah. you, you lost count that's a lot it's a lot. lot of lot of experience that we're excited to dive mm, into yeah. dig into your story um and just you know connect with you mm-hmm. and so you're a writer producer director is there anything i'm leaving out i don't i don't like the production as okay. much but yeah i do i do a fair bit of it okay. when you when you work as much as we do yeah, it's just not easy to brush anything off. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mm-hmm. screenwriting was my first love. I still love it. I don't do as much of it as I used to. Uh, the directing, I've I've started to edit now. Mm. Um, I've started to dabble in VFX. You know, I just you just sometimes get tired of waiting, tired of looking, and you just say, you know, can I do this as good or almost as good as whoever I'm looking? for and yeah. so i don't think i'll ever do any of those full time mm-hmm. uh, but i do want to know how to do them right you know that's good. cool man well uh we want to dig into your story and and take it back to before you were a filmmaker extraordinaire uh <laughs> who had this long resume what did pre-resume brett get yeah. into the film industry look like uh i've i feel like i've i've had several lives you mm. know and so you know, obviously from New York, New Jersey, 
uh, went to school in Florida for economics, graduated mm. with a, a degree in economics, which is useless, you know. <laughs> and, and well, it's not because we talked about math, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to know go. spreadsheets. That's and, right. Um, Excel. I, I started out, uh, I got married really young. Um, I started out selling software to law firms, which I, I still, till this day, think helped shape where I am now because I, I learned to deal with really big, difficult personalities at 21. Mm. You know, these attorneys mm. knew more than you. You were some dumb kid. Mm. And I'm sitting there trying to convince you to buy this or do that. And and I did that for a long time and then moved on from that and uh, uh, moved to Texas. Um, and that's kind of where I started screenwriting, self-taught. I found scripts more interesting to read than books. Uh, so I would just go see a movie, like seven that was, I think that was the first screenplay I read. Classic. And then I just bought it and then started reading it. I'm like, this is really weird. All the dialogue is in the middle of the page. Like, what's happening here? <laughs> but I did realize that you could almost just read that dialogue. And having seen the movie, I didn't have to read the action. I knew what was happening. Mm. So I was like, I'm going to try this. So I started, you know, doing it as a hobby. And, and my ex-wife at the time, I just kind of thought, you need a real job. So I went back to work while I did that. Never really had a whole lot of success in it. Um, this was in Atlanta. Hmm. So pre-AMC and yeah. pre-all the Tyler Perry stuff. So hmm. there's nothing going on in Atlanta. Um, but it wasn't until I moved to Texas that I got into short films. Hmm. Um, because I had optioned a couple feature scripts, and I'd gone to L.A. and met with some really cool, famous people, and, and they just never went anywhere it mm. would just die you know and a year later here's your script back mm. you know i made a thousand bucks but so a buddy of mine in austin who was a short filmmaker he was like do you want to try directing one and i was like i don't know how to do that and he's like well here sign this piece of paper i remember we made a contract on the front page of the screenplay hmm. it's like you're going to direct it and he made me sign it, and I directed it. I had no clue what I was doing. It was some dumb short film. And we just started making short film after short film after short film. And they were terrible, you know. Um, but it was fun, and we made connections. A lot of people I met back then I still work with. Mm. Not a lot, but... Um, and so I was juggling that with still working for real, you know, and I was very good at my job and... and business I was working for was making a lot of money and I was always in the back of my mind knew one day I'm going to be on that cliff and you either jump off or you're miserable for the rest mm. of your life you know and so once we got into feature films with with Tiffany my wife um, and B22 it really became a business mm. and that's when everything changed that's when we were like we're going to do this as a hobby we're both going to work and we're just going to do it on the weekends um, you know, we were doing some commercials and stuff like that. And it was fun. Uh, but if we want to make a run at this, we're both going to have to put full-time 150% into this, you know. And so that's where we are now. But, you know, looking back, I think I would have never imagined that we'd be as busy as we are now. Mm. You know, I, I think I always deep down thought, I'm very good at this, but it's never going to be you know, what it is now. And we've just been blessed enough to, to be able to do it this way. But so, yeah, I mean, I've done everything. I've, I've done 
sales. I worked at Enterprise Rental Car for a little <laughs> while, which is the worst job yes, on the planet. Yes. <laughs> it's it's such a Ponzi scheme. I got a I got a buddy that's told me nightmare stories yeah. from Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, but I still use them. Yeah, just got a plug. Yeah, <laughs> they can still sponsor. They can still Enterprise. sponsor. Yeah. Sponsors. <laughs> yeah, it's just. Um, but I feel like every one of those experiences, in a weird way, has made it into one of our movies. Mm. That makes sense. Mm, Even working that. at Enterprise. Mm. So I see, I, I've heard that too. Even just in like the dialogue writing stuff, yeah. like some of the best lines in film come from real, authentic conversations that happen in your life. Yeah. And so that's cool to hear that even movies like full movie concepts have translated from real life events uh, just in, in, in your portfolio. Yeah, and it is a perfect example of that is uh, we did a movie called Buckskin, mm-hmm. and um, we had an actor signed on to do it in like two days before, we, or a week. He was like, hey, I just booked The Walking Dead. What do I do? I said, goodbye. You know, mm-hmm. go do that. It's more important. And so we hired another actor, which I had already kind of prepared him for, hey, I think you're going to have to do this. And he worked full time. And I just, I was like, look, man, 99% of the dialogue in this script is how I personally feel about things in real life. So don't ad lib, just memorize the lines. And that was the only time I think I've ever worked with an actor where I would not let them add or take Mm. away anything. Mm. Because I always knew, okay, Buskin's gonna be that movie that when he's talking about death or love or whatever it is, that's how I feel about it, mm. you know? And so, so... So talk to me about that concept a little bit because yeah. I think that there, it's an interesting thing to give an actor room to, you know, own a space mm-hmm. in the way that they would. But at the same time, you want, as a director, yeah. to tell the story that you want to paint, you know, or paint the picture that you want to paint. Yeah. So talk to me about how you kind of navigate that concept of, you know, telling the story that you want to, tell but also mm-hmm. giving them room to do their own yeah. thing. I always I think I've said this on set um and in pre-production meetings. You know, my job as a director is to kind of come up with this vision. I hate using that word, mm. a vision. Um and then I'll yell action and I'll yell cut and in between those two lines I'm going to give you some flexibility to get from point A to point B. As long as the message is getting across, I'm cool with you changing dialogue with, you know, can I punch this person? Can I take a sip of coffee? Whatever it is, I'm fine with that. But if we run into a situation where I'm watching in the monitor and I'm like, we're just not getting there or this isn't going to jive with what's happening before or three scenes down the line, which I think is a tough thing that people don't realize directors need to be thinking of every scene while you're watching this one then we adjust it. But I'm an actor's director, you know, I, except for that one film <laughs> where I was like, one. sorry, Tom, you can't <laughs> stop changing the lines. Yeah. Um, but I, I just, because I would hate if I was an actor to not be able to have some flexibility, mm-hmm. you know, because I'll be writing a script and I'll just yell out, hey, Tiff, can you say this? And she'll say it. And I'm like, okay, I'm glad I asked because that's not how I would have said it. Mm. This is how a woman would have said this line. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it can help it even feel more authentic to that actor when they make it their own and deliver it how it most feels comfortable to them. And that's why I'm kind of flexible. Yeah. I'm the same way just on the DP side. Like whenever I have multiple operators, I like to give my operators a little bit of room to, you know, create Mm -hmm. certain shots and, and create their own composition. But if it's not working at the end of the day, they have to be flexible yeah. enough to work with me 
in the same capacity that I've been flexible to work yeah, with them. Yeah, for sure. And so I think that's really cool that from the directing side that you can do that with your actors yeah. as well. Yeah, for sure. So I, I, I got to jump in because I really love the um, – I'm we're in the very early stages of development and concepting uh, – uh, a feature you know we've mm-hmm. done a couple of short films i love hearing that you started you know you've yeah. done a lot of short films right i feel like yeah. you get so much you know experience and you know um and, and make connections right and where they go they go film festivals you don't make any money back they're, yeah. they're expensive to make or could can be expensive yeah. to make mm-hmm. but they're so valuable but i want to jump into the s- script writing the screenwriting portion of it i loved even what you just said like would you kind of break down your process i guess like when you want to write a uh, a, a screen, right? Um, what What's your process? And I love the example you just gave, like you calling out to your wife, saying, hey, yeah. say this line. Because <laughs> I think for me, dialogue is like so important to, for it to sound natural. Yeah. I'm a realist. I like, I like realism in films. Yeah. And I'll write it, and then you hear it, and you're like, oh, man, that's, ter- you know, that's <laughs> terrible. Like, what am I thinking? It's, yeah. So, you know, what are, what are some yeah. tips that you'd give me for screenwriting? What's, what's your process look like? I, I don't have the normal process. Mm-hmm. I've heard... On sat on panels and and I've heard you know master classes from all these famous screenwriters who are all really great. Um, I don't even outline. Mm. Um, everything's written on paper, mm. on my phone, on paper in my head. I mean, I'll be on the couch. You know, we'll be relaxing, watching our, one of our favorite shows, and I'll just pop off the couch, go in the office, and start writing. And I'm sure it infuriates Tiffany because <laughs> she's like, "Where did you go?" And I'm like, "I have to get this down." But I typically, um, it's it's a it's a long answer, but I'll keep it short. But you know, I learned really early on that my ideas were never as good as I thought they were, mm. and, and and I think everybody falls into that gap where they're like, I have this amazing film idea, and I think that we get that as filmmakers from film festivals. I think film mm. festivals are great. Um, but you get a you get to a point in your career where you don't need to sit in a room and be pat on the back. And if you're confident in what you did, there's only certain people that you should be worried about uh, or happy with the product. Yourself, first mm-hmm. of all, your financiers, of course, and your producers. Okay. And even if your producers aren't happy with it, too bad sometimes, mm-hmm. you know. But for screenwriting, I like to just come up with a bunch of bad ideas. And I'll always pitch them to people. What about this? And we'll laugh about it. And, you know, this, this is hilarious. This is such a funny idea. It'll never happen. And then eventually, the right idea will happen. Hmm. And then from there, it's just literally final draft is open 24-7. Mm-hmm. And when I'm in the car at a red light, I pull it up on the app. When I'm home, I'll take two or three hours and write. Um, then typically, um, I'll just... I've thrown out so many scripts. If it's if I try not to delete them, mm, but yeah. I do delete a lot of them, mm. and then you regret it later. But mm. sometimes I have to do that to start fresh because I'll start picking at things. Mm-hmm. I'm like, no. That's so, so that's so good, dude. <laughs> if you didn't hear that, <laughs> like it's. So I used to I used to write songs. Yeah, and it was the same exact thing for me where I would write something. And I'd be like, nah, I'm going to scrap that, but I'm not going to delete it. And then mm-hmm. you wind up pulling from yeah, it, and it it's weaves terrible. itself back in. <laughs> and you're like, I have yet again another song that I yeah. pulled from old stuff that I didn't love. Yep. Sickness. It's a sickness. I throw it out. And even if you regret it, it's it's. I feel like you're cleansing yourself with mm. these terrible ideas. It's a fresh start. Yeah. Though. 
So I always feel like, and then when the script is done, it's done for me. I, I, I close the file, I save it as a PDF, I put it somewhere on the desktop. Then I don't open it again until we're in pre-production. And then I'll start making changes to it when it's been cast, unless I've written it for someone. Um, a lot of times my scripts are short, way shorter than industry standard, but that's because I know that when we get on set, we're going to try some things. This mm. is this this scene down the hallway is going to be like 40 seconds of tension, you know. Mm. Um, and a lot of people struggle with that. And they'll be like, did you send me the whole script? Because it was only 74 <laughs> pages. And I'm like... <laughs> It says the end at the end. That's, that's <laughs> yeah, the yeah, end, yeah. you know. Um, but I try not to tinker with it, mm. and I just let it evolve once it's on set. Like once I'm happy with it, it's done, and I move on to the next one. You know, this is this is a great masterclass <laughs> that you just gave. Seriously, so, yeah. like this is gold, and and I love that. So like, I align with that first thing that you said. It'll be three a.m. Brett. Like this is when I get my ideas. Yeah. Three a.m. in the morning. I wake up and I go, oh my gosh, this is a great idea. And you don't know if it's a great idea, right? Yeah, but you, right. So I write it down on my phone and then I'll hit Joey up and be like, hey, I got a, I got a pitch. I got a, I got a video pitch. Let me tell you about it. And then we'll do it and I'll judge his reaction. And then I go, okay, well, that one wasn't yeah. very good. <laughs> Let me go back to sleep and you know, dream up another one. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, I love that. But I, I do that. And I think it's so important. I read this recently, but you know, your mind is very deceiving. You, you think you will remember things, right? Yeah. But you have to write it down. You so don't. when you cut, when you get that idea, when you get that script beat, anything, even just a funny dialogue bit, mm -hmm. you got to write yeah. it down on your yeah, phone. Sure. And so I've got so many notes on my phone, which somebody needs to go in and like organize Ideas it for that me. Are going to go to the graveyard. Yeah, <laughs> but you need to like I need to organize that. But you you know you got to collect that data yeah. so yeah. that you can utilize it. But then on that point, still. I need to hear this. You got to throw some of that stuff you have away. To. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, uh, when Masterclass first came out, uh, the, the guy's name escapes me. I, I want to think it's Tony Gilroy, but it's not. It's whoever wrote The West Wing. Mm. Uh, Aaron Sorkin. Mm. Ah. Yeah. So I watched his. My, my wife was like, uh, happy birthday, you mm -hmm. know? And so I was like, great. So I watched it. And he had a group of students in there. And he was like, you're going to come in and give me, it was a whiteboard, and we're going to fill it with the ideas, and they're just writing them down. Oh, this happens, that happens. And then he's like, are we done? And they're like exhausted, and he's like, and just erases the whole whiteboard. <laughs> he's like, now tomorrow, come in with the good ideas, because these were all crap. And I feel that's wow. like what we internally do, because mm. you pitch it to your wife, your friend, mm -hmm. your yeah. kids, and you're just like, what do you think? And, and when you don't get the reaction that you're wanting, I think you either give up on it too soon Mm. And you have to train yourself to be like, well, I don't really care what you think. I believe in it, mm. which is a whole other thing. But um, you have to learn to let it go, mm. you know. And I think that's broader as filmmakers. Part of what independent filmmakers don't understand is you can have passion projects. You can have passion scripts, but there's just not a market for some stuff. Mm. And the market dictates if you do this as a career or a hobby. Mm. Well said. You know, and so it's, good. it's tough. Yeah. Because there are things I want to do. I'll probably never be able to do them until I'm a billionaire and I'm like, I'm going to pay for it myself. Yeah. And even then it'll flop. Right. But I wanted to do it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is, I'm really excited to talk about the mark, market piece and marketing yeah. and, and distro and all that. Because uh, when you and I started chatting, I think through DM, you know, that's, that's a piece that, you know, I think so many filmmakers don't fully understand. Yeah. And so somebody like yourself who has 
you know, 20 plus feature films yeah. and that experience and those connections. You know, I can't wait to, Joey, I don't know what your next question is, but I can't wait to jump <laughs> into uh, the distro side and how to market and leverage yeah. your your screenplay, you know, your script, your idea. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I think the the screenwriting piece that you gave is, is super good. I actually really struggle in the screenwriting area. I wish I was better at it, but I'm curious before we move on from that, do you typically start with the end in mind before you go to the beginning. Yeah. Because it's weird you say that. Well, well, I so I always have heard that that's the best thing and for me I have to get excited about the plot twist at the end mm-hmm. um or like the big reveal at the end to get excited about the film to even start sure. concepting for it. And then you go and then you you work backwards and you create the point A of the story. Yeah. And fill in the middle. Yeah. And I have always said that I am the best writer at the middle, which everybody hates. They can't get through the <laughs> film. They have all these amazing ideas that they can't finish. I can come up with the middle. I really struggle with getting excited about the end uh, enough to back my own idea to even yeah. start writing. Yeah. But I'm curious from a process standpoint, if you start with the end and, or, or do you even have all these ideas yeah. that you're like, let me I, just throw I it. don't think I ever wrote or have written the end first, but I do know how the movie ends. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm. And, and it's funny because I struggle with the minutia of the middle, right. like that 30 minutes in the middle. And, um, like I'll always be like, okay, so there's this guy, and here's what's happening, and then all this other stuff happens, and then the plot—he's an alien. Yeah, <laughs> and, you know, you're, right, and you're like, right. well, what about those 45 minutes in between? Right. We'll, we'll figure that out. Yeah, you know? right. it's, it's just, but I don't think I've ever started with the end. Um, but I did learn uh, through trial and error that, like, uh, you being a songwriter to me, I always talk about um, script writing. To me, is like lyrics. You have to, as the writer, be able to recite that script like your favorite song. Yeah. You know, and and the action, I'll tell you something I do that I don't know a lot of people do, which is very weird. People laugh about it. But, like, I got kind of tired of writing action in a script and the actor not doing it the way it's written. Mm. Because I feel like a lot of actors just read their lines. Mm. They don't read that they're supposed to pick the cup up. They're supposed to be angry. And, you know, like David Chase, you know, from Sopranos and Boardwalk Empire, like he is meticulous about Christopher's wearing a blue Mets hat with a cigarette on the left side of his mouth. And if the actor doesn't do that, you're pretty much fired, Mm. you know. And so I would start writing ridiculous stuff in the action like that didn't even make any sense and if the actors never brought anything up i'm like they didn't didn't, Mm. if if tiffany didn't bring it up she didn't read the script but uh the the weird thing that i do is like when i want an actor to be angry i'll just curse in the action Mm. you know instead like a pick the effing thing up not Mm -hmm. just he picks up the box you know and and i think that that helps the actor like okay i'm aggressive here Mm. instead of me being like he aggressively picks up the box, you know? Mm. And so, and to me, it makes it more fun to read mm-hmm. because you're like, oh, he's, you know, going off for some reason in here, you know, even though that doesn't happen in the script. But I just try to give the actor as much as I can. But yes, I know what happens in the beginning. I know what happens at the end. And then I'm just like, I'll figure out the middle <laughs> over the next month Yeah, and, and see, I, I, <laughs> I, I work so backwards. But I, I think it's even like from the songwriting standpoint yeah. that I like have a, a writing background at all. And it's like with, with writing songs, you have to have 
a concept to write for about. sure yeah and you have to get inspired by that concept before you can really start but once you start and you know what you're inspired by it just starts flowing from yeah. there and Absolutely. i i think for whatever reason i struggle with backing my own ideas enough to be inspired to write them. But like if somebody says, hey, I have this point A and this point B, I'm like, I'm on it. I can yeah. see it through. Well, I think I know why. Because you guys are both like behind the camera, you're in front of the camera, yeah. you're creative minds. Screenwriting yeah. is a lonely, yes, decrepit process, yes. man. You're sitting in a dark room usually. I don't know right. one screenwriter's like, I'm gonna go out in the sun and mm -hmm. you know, yeah. you're in a dark room for hours, you know, drinking caffeine with the lights off with that cursor blinking at you, yeah. you know, and it's laughing at you most of the time because it's like dumb, delete, you know? So it's not like, I mean, you watch TV shows and things about, you know, Star Wars, Fast and the Furious, all these franchises. You never know who writes these things, mm. but they are hugely talented. And then you start going down the rabbit hole of what else have they done? And you're like, oh, he wrote this, she wrote that. And it's like, they never see the light of day mm. until they become a director or they're right. a writer director, which I think is why I do it is because uh, selfishly, sometimes I don't trust another director with the material or... I just treat it like my child. Mm -hmm. I wrote this thing. I'm going to see it to yeah, graduation yeah. and then let it go. And, <laughs> and even to even to further that point, me as a, a DP, I take a director's vision and I bring it to life. Exactly. And I get excited about bringing it to life, which is that middle piece of production. Mm -hmm. There's this idea. Post is the final piece. And I love the middle yeah. and, and taking it and making it something. And I think that, you know, it, it's the same thing for me in writing. I like taking somebody's idea and then yeah. bringing it to life. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm not the most creative ideas guy when it comes to writing a and film, and I know that. The thing that stands out to me is uh, my first screenplay that ever got, like, heavy money behind it was a, a film called Element. It was a psychological thriller. 2013. Yeah, and Michael Ironside, who is still a friend to this day, uh, he was asking if I was going to be on set. And I was like, no. And so I called the producers. They're like, well, come up to Oak City, and you know, we'll put you in a scene with Michael. And I'll never forget, John Keyes was the director. He's a nice guy. I'll never forget, they were kind of in the corner, and Michael looks at me and goes, you wrote this thing, come here. And he's like asking me how he should, and I'm looking at the director like, this guy's going to hate me. But that has never happened since mm. then. Michael was the only guy that ever was like, well, I don't know how to deliver this. The director maybe wasn't sure. I'm going to ask the writer. And so obviously it happens when you write and direct. But if you're not on set, they're not going to ask you. Mm. They're just going to interpret it right. however they want. Yeah. You know. So it is, I think, selfishly, that's part of my reasoning for, I don't want to always be the writer and director. Sure. Like I, I find myself more and more not wanting to write, but mm. it's a necessity. And I feel like when I don't write, my creativity level across life is down. Mm. You know, I feel like I'm more depressed and, you know, bored. And yeah. uh, because I, I, I mean, I know I just kind of tore it down, but I like being in the dark room <laughs> writing by myself yeah. where nobody can bother me. So you know? we had another, uh, I think it was um, uh, Nick Schroeder on the, podcast and he said filmmaking is a sickness and i was like that's what it is because you you know it's like it's a creative process yeah. that you know maybe you don't always enjoy it in while you're yeah. doing it but then afterwards you go but i need it yeah i gotta do it again yeah. i mean you how many I mean? times have you looked at 
your loved ones and been like, I mean, I know I have more recently than ever been like, what are we doing? <laughs> Should we just go get jobs and enjoy life? This is a hassle. Oh, and oh then everybody God. listening on this podcast, yeah, they have yeah, done that. Yeah, yeah. And then you, you get home after set and you're like, man, that was fun. I don't want to work a real job. <laughs> yeah, and then the next right. day you're like, wait, what's happening? Man? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so relatable, man. Oh. Well, dude, um, I, I want to talk about B22 as yeah. well. So, so catch me up on what B22 is. You know, when, when that started and what you guys specialize yeah, in. Yeah, so um, I did a film, I don't even know when, Creep. Hasn't seen the light of day. Um, that was my first director debut. Uh, had a bunch of Hollywood people in it, and it was a complete nightmare. Hmm. I mean, if you ever, I don't know if you've had people on the show, and they'll be like, best way to not know how to make a movie is to learn how not to. I learned how not to make a movie. <laughs> over those five mm. weeks of hell in West mm. Texas. And but the the silver lining in all that is I met, you know, people like Scott Ross and my wife who was doing wardrobe at the time and, you know, now we're married. And so um she was pretty much the only positive thing to come out of that experience. But um we started that company because after that shoot, which the producers, which I tell young people all the time, pick your producers extremely carefully because they will kill a project without you even knowing it's it's been shot behind you. You know, they start giving themselves roles in the film. They start, you should do this. No, you should do that. Then you get into the edit and they're taking control of the edit and, and you're just sitting there. Me being young and dumb, I was like, okay, sure. Yeah, what? What do you think? And it was too collaborative, you know? Mm. And um, I remember driving home from Dumas, you know, Amarillo area, mm. and I'm like, it can't be like this. Like, I can't do this again. And I made no money, mm. you know? And so I got home, and I'm like, Tiff, it can't be like this. And she was like, it's not. They just ran over you. Do it again. Mm. And so I had this Apocalypse Road script. I had 20 pages, and I just started casting it, found a young DP that'll do anything, and I'm like, 20 pages. And he's like, well, where's the rest of the movie? I'm like, we'll do that later. Let's just film the first 20, see how I feel. So we did that, we edited it, we put it online for free. All the actors wanted to come back. So we did it in 20 minute increments. And I was like, that's how it's supposed to be. I'm happy, mm. I have a new investor that believes in me, not the project, because I think there's a difference there. Mm. You know, I, I really don't think you should find investors that believe in the project, because the project, unless you've got Mark Wahlberg or Denzel Washington, it, it's always gonna let the investor down. If they mm. believe in you, you just have to not personally let them down. Does that make sense? Yeah, you know, it's yeah. a completely different way of looking at it. But so we started B22 and started financing our own films, small budgets, making some good money, and then finding some, you know, independently wealthy people that believed in us. And I think with 90 Feet From Home, that was our big break. I think it was like, which I have a hilarious story about that, but we, we pitched that movie to every Hollywood name to play Jimmy Devine, from Mel Gibson to Jeff Bridges. And they were like, well, Bo wants to do it. And I'm like, mm, we really want Jeff, you know? And they all said no. Um, I think at the time, uh, Christian Bale was the name we were throwing out there. And they were like, well, he's X amount just to meet with him. And mm. it's guaranteed whether he does it or not. And I was like, mm, that's not going to happen. Um, so I, I had this weird dream. Growing up in New Jersey, I watched wrestling as a kid. And I was on a wrestling team, and we used to throw each other around in the basement. 
And I used to, I grew up watching WWF or whatever, and we could not find Jimmy Devine. My wife, Tiff's just getting angrier and angrier and everybody's passing. Well, maybe we just hire a nobody and put that money. And I'm like, I've got it. I had this dream. We were at WrestleMania and I met Shawn Michaels. And I'm like, he's going to play Jimmy Devine. And she's like, who? And I'm like, trust me. So if you Google Shawn Michaels, there's a porn star named Shawn Michaels. And the investors are like, no. And I'm like, no, 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 not that one. Not that guy. Um, and so I'm in the car and I call Shawn's agent, who's a sports agent, doesn't know anything about movies. Mm. And I'm like, we want, who is this? What? Well, send me the script, send the script. And before he knew it, we were flying to Orlando to meet with him and he was all in. And that movie was like, the gold star experience at the time for us. Like everybody was so good. The actors, mm. the crew, we had a great time. We made an amazing movie. And you know, to me, making films is like the creation of it. But then like you're in a band, you have to play it mm. and you have to perform it. And then you're like, well, is anyone else gonna really enjoy this as much as I do in the car with the windows up, you know? <laughs> and we, we filled the theater and we showed it and the investors came up afterwards and they're like, good job. Oh. And I was like, good job. And uh, I followed them out to the limo and I was like, did you guys not like it? And they're like, well, we thought it was a little hard to watch because it is about child abuse, mm. you know, and it's a true story and stuff. And we we're kind of hoping it'd be a little more like a star is born. And I'm like, well, me too, you know, but uh, <laughs> we didn't have Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga, you know, and, um, but they're like, no, it's fantastic. And from then we just started B22 <clears throat> more as a business we mm. were like okay no more just casting our friends no more just hiring crew for a hundred dollars a day let's pay union rates even if they're non-union you know and, and stuff like that and we just hit the ground running with copper bill which was self-financed and you know we're like let's work with another wrestler you know which was great and um and i mean we've just we've found new distributors new sources of money self-financing you know uh, bringing third parties in different streaming methods. And, and that's part of it is what Tiffany is really good at is um, kind of thinking creatively of, let's say you have 30 grand to make a movie. How can we do this? And she's very good at like what we can cut out. Hmm. And then from there, we're like, okay, now let's build a budget. So we're not gonna have an AD. Mm -hmm. You know, Tiff will step in and an AD for me, you know, which is really, don't need that. But she keeps me on time. She keeps everybody moving. When I get angry, she's the voice, you know, mm, not mm. me. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't like getting angry on set. It happens, but it's more comical to me when she gets angry. <laughs> Everybody's afraid of her anyway, which is, is funny because um, she's the sweetest thing. But people see her as the boss. Mm. Boss is here. No joking around, you know. And it's just like she's funny, you know. Like she would think that's funny. But yeah. um so yeah, we started B22. It started as like commercials and now it's just strictly hmm. uh, feature films. Uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about it, but she has a distribution company that she started as well where we're starting to acquire independent hmm. films and sell them through our contacts. Um, we're taking submissions to finance projects, to sell projects, to help fix projects. So she's got her hands in 15 or 20 different projects at any time. And um, it's, it's fun, you know, and, and her, her kids help out. Uh, they have acting experience, horse wrangling experience. We do so many Westerns, you know, stuff like that. I'm trying to get my kids in the business, not really working, but um, 
it's just a family business. It's pretty cool, you know, and we'll see where it goes, you know. Yeah. But, uh, Congrats, man. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. The, yeah, the family business, getting everybody involved, and I love the the collaboration even on set. I yeah. love that because probably I'm just imagining like you getting ticked off on set, and then yeah. you're like, Tiff's going to go, you know, as AD, she goes and like, and then you're enjoying it because you're like, oh, this is this is funny. Then yeah. that relaxes you, right? Yeah. You're back yeah, in the, she knows the levels. Yeah, she says, she goes, great. Brett's on a seven. <laughs> If he gets to 10, we're all fired. All fired. That's so great. she's like, let's get moving. And, and like everybody just kind of. I think I'm going to steal that. I don't yeah. ever think. And it's hard to work with your spouse. Mm. Love her to death. But there been I've made her cry once on set, mm. you know, and, and I feel bad about it. But I just had enough mm. of people, everybody telling me what to do. And she was the last one. So she caught it, you mm. know. Um, it's like, hey, so, guys, we got to take 30. <laughs> I need to go get some flowers. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it so it is stressful at times, but it, it's uh, it, we we work well together. You know, she does the things I don't like, I do the things she doesn't like, mm. and we just keep it moving, you know, and we keep reminding each other like this was the dream. Mm -hmm. You know, this was the dream that you've had since you were a little kid and since I was 20, so got to work harder you know and i always tell her you got to want the work more than the reward every single day because it's very rare that any of us are going to be multi-millionaires and in this business in the middle of the country like we are you have to just want the work and eventually mm -hmm. the fame fortune whatever you want to call it will come mm. but without the work you're sitting on the couch yep you know and i, I tell people a lot like there have been times where we've made really cheap movies and I need a gaffer, whatever it is. I'm just like, man, this is all I have 200 bucks a day, you know, but I, I believe that this will be a great project for your portfolio. We're going to feed you really well. Tiff is like, stick with like the food is good on set. We stick to eight or nine hours. If it's more than that, we're like, do you guys want to just pack it in? We'll add it. You know, we're just, and they'll be like, no, you know, no. And then it's the same person on Facebook. That's like, there's no work in DFW. There's mm. no, and I'm like, dude, I can keep you busy all year round if you can just work with me a little bit. Because mm. on this one, I have this. On the next one, I'm going to give you more than you want. Right. Mm. But it's, you know. It, it goes back to that that sickness piece where it's <laughs> like you you have to really fall in love with the process of yeah. filmmaking. And every every hour that you're on set is not always fun work yeah but the process of filmmaking is something that when i go home at the end of the day my cup feels full mm -hmm. even if my energy is on e sure and it's like the fulfillment that we get you i think you have to have a certain level of fulfillment in what you do as a filmmaker to keep going and have steam for the next day because yeah. the it it goes back to that process piece where it's like when it's all said and done, you feel like it was worth it. Yeah. But you have to want the work. Yeah. Like you said, you can't just like yeah. want the paycheck or want the the final product of the movie already through posts. Like you have to fall in love with the process. Yeah. Um, and I think that takes time for people too. Like I, I've talked about just building passion in general. And passion is not something that you can find tomorrow. It's something that has to be built. And the first time you made your first movie, you <clears> definitely <throat> weren't as passionate as yeah. you are right now. Yeah. Same with me. I, I didn't love 
the minutia of lighting and, <laughs> you know, all trying to know all of the lens coatings on different glass that comes out. It's like that, that is passion that comes from time yeah. in the business. And when you can find the people that have that passion, they're the ones that want the work. Yeah. And you have to surround yourself with them every time if you can. Like we have a team sound, grip work, makeup, props, and those are our people. And you can definitely tell the dynamic is off when they're not on set. And you replace them, the product isn't as good, just the overall fun level is down. Relatable. You know, you can't look at your sound guy and him be like, yeah, I know we gotta do that again. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, you didn't ask, so I didn't do it again. You know, Mm -hmm. but you know what I mean? It's like, you miss that when it's not there. Yeah, mm-hmm. but then you run into the whole like, people have to work. So, mm-hmm. so, so <laughs> I got a I got a, a a pickup on this because I'm I'm gonna play devil's advocate for yeah. just a second, but I want to I want to get your two cents on it. But I've seen that in a lot of your films, you utilize the same actors mm-hmm. as well, and I think that there are some interesting takes on doing that that I want to explore yeah. your your mindset on because I think there are definitely a lot of pros um, like that that I know what's going to come from this, yeah. the, the, the good spirits on set and all of the familiarity. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I think that there are some cons to it. It's a pros and cons yeah. thing. So I wanted to explore your mindset on utilizing the same actors yeah. for projects as well. Yeah, it's it's collaborative on the casting side. You know, Tiffany handles the initial work on that, and then we'll come with her picks. Sometimes it's just I don't see anybody that relates to the character. I mean, your writers, you're creating someone. So mm. you kind of know what the mannerisms are. You know, I just saw this podcast with, uh, with Quentin Tarantino, and he held up this piece of paper, and I took a picture of it. And it was when he was doing Pulp Fiction, he gave it to the casting director and was like, get me these people. Because one thing is like casting directors have their lists of Mm -hmm. people that they want you to hire. And if you don't want those people, they're going to do everything they can to either lie to you or tell you that person's not available. So Quentin was like, I wanted DiCaprio for Django. And everybody was like, he doesn't play the bad guy. He's not going to curse. He's not going to use that language. It's like, I'm going to go over to his house, meet with him, and after dinner, he was hired, and then he was like, now go get Christoph Waltz. Oh, he doesn't want to do a Western. Calls Christoph, here he is. So you have to almost sometimes be like, casting's not going to work for these roles. And then it's a mixture of, like with Tom Hallam. Tom is like a hidden gem that nobody really knows. He kind of lives a very off-the-grid lifestyle, no social media, stuff like that. And uh, which, you know, good on him for that. But Tom is the guy that I know if I have a role that has to get really angry and really emotional, he can pull that off without it coming off as acting. Mm. And after you sit through 100 auditions of someone trying to act that way, you just realize there is no way to pretend. Mm. You know, I always think like Robert De Niro is not an actor. He's just coming to set and talking. (laughs) True. You know, I have, mm. you know who else is really good at that is the guy from Ozark, Jason Bateman. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's not acting. It's just him. It's just mm. him. In the room, yeah. You know, Matt Damon's just him, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, if you can find that, I want to keep that yeah. in every script because it's less acting. Yeah. You well, know? and there's a lot of directors that really like that. Yeah. And, and, and producer, like Adam Sandler works with the same yeah. guys in every yeah. movie. And uh, Christopher Nolan does Christopher it. Christopher Nolan, yeah. 100%. Yeah. It, it, 
I don't want to say Tarantino because he he switches it up. There's there's another anyway. Yeah. A, a lot of directors choose to make that yeah. move, and it's one of those things that I think in the same way that I pick similar crew and stuff yeah. like that. Um, I just didn't know if you had any anything negative that has come from yeah, that. Yeah, you do. Uh, that is the flip side of that. Right. Um, that's kind of what I wanted to explore yeah, a little bit, uh, too. And in general, you know, gosh, this is going to sound really bad. But, you know, I always feel like the first person through the wall gets it the worst. And then everyone else kind of can step through the rubble behind you, safe and sound, teeth all fine, no blood, you know. And I think that we did a lot of things in this area first. And I know that sounds really cocky and that's not how it's supposed to come out. But like when we shot Apocalypse Road, I was like, let's keep the camera moving 100% of the time. You don't see that out of DFW. Mm. And now everybody's shooting on Ronins and gimbals. But we were like, people were like, how did you get this seven minute shot without cutting? And we didn't fake it. We literally passed the camera to people, you know? And so we, we caught backlash, you know, haters, whatever you want to call them for that. And then if we do use the same actor over and over and somebody does want that role, I totally understand there's not enough roles to go around. It's nothing personal, but you do catch backlash. They're always using this person. They're always using that person. You know, he's putting his wife in the movies. And But I just feel like that's our prerogative. Mm. You know, if you were running a business too, you'd hire who you want to hire. You'd make the products you want to make and you're not going to please everyone. That yeah. being said... We have so many projects available. Just keep submitting, and I guarantee you eventually you're going to get the call, yeah. and you're going to have a great time. Mm. I love it's it. It's just kind of – it's 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 business. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's tough, yeah. you know. Yeah. I want to jump into the business side uh, about – so so can you give us some pointers on – you know, I just talked to um, Tony Armour from uh, Dallas Film Commission, and and he's got a YouTube video uh, on their uh, on their site, and it's it's all about – you know, even just breaking even, right? Mm -hmm. And so yeah. you've done 20 of these. Yeah. Obviously, you're keeping your investors happy yeah. or you're finding new investors, yeah. you know, yeah. every time. So, <laughs> so tell us the process. Yeah. So like, for so for us, Joey and I, we're working on, uh, at Cinema Story, we want to uh, uh, produce and distribute a feature by 2025. Sure. So it was a three-year goal that we started back in 2022. T clock is ticking. <laughs> we got a lot of What do. are you guys waiting on? Yeah, I know, right? So... Uh, so uh, we're we're kind of in that, that New York accent yeah. that came out yeah. right there too. <laughs> there it is. There's the New York. I know when I hear it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so what are some pointers you can yeah. give us and, and other filmmakers out there that need to approach their feature film, get investors, get it distributed, right? Yeah. Make the money back. At least break. At least break at even. Least. That's it'd be, a, that's it'd be great a win. to make money. Yeah. You know. So how do how do what's the, what's the process look like? It's, uh, man. Um, so what's different for us when we made Apocalypse Road the night before 90 feet, let's just take those three. Yeah. We, the worst thing for me as a filmmaker is to go to sleep at night owing people money. Mm. I mean, that's the worst thing in general, being in a lot of debt. And I've been there. You know, everybody has at some point. And so with those movies, we would go to bed at night like, and I hope this makes its money back or this guy's never going to talk to me again. But what I didn't realize then because I was younger is, these people believed in me. They didn't care if the mm. if the movie made money. They wanted to see me be successful, and then the film would be successful. We even had investors on movies that didn't make money put money into the next one mm. because wow. they're just like, you're gonna do well, you know. And um, 
So now where we are is we don't step foot on set till the movie is sold. And that is a luxury. Mm. And I don't even know how you can teach that. It's just something I think that comes when your distributors and your financiers see hard work and they're able to be like, I know that B-22 is going to make this movie. It's going to look awesome. It's not going to be perfect because the budget is small, but it's going to make me five times the budget. Make me another one. Make me another one. Mm. What do you want to do? Make me another one. What do you, you know, the, the what do you want to do is are very seldom. Mm. And they're not all hits. You know, we made Outlaws Buckle. Uh, it's, it's a, I don't think it's terrible, but it's terrible, you know. And uh, but we had four days to shoot it because the snowpocalypse came through and the location's like, we're shutting. You shot a feature in four in days. In four days in a prison without heat or running water because wow. the storm, and I got pulled over on the way home and I just told the cop, I'm like, dude, my feet are wet, I'm tired. And he's like, what are you doing? I said, we're making a movie. And he's like, awesome. When can, I was like, can I just go home? You know, but <laughs> when can four I days, <laughs> so it, the movie is not very good. And wow. our distributor at the time, you know. How many so, pages is that a day? It, like? was, it was like, what can we cut? Mm. And we would just, guys, take like six seconds before you answer every question, you know? And we, <laughs> oh we made gosh. the fight scenes longer. And the you know, movie came out, it did fine, and it got into Walmart and stuff like that. Um, but it was a flop. And our finance people were just like, so what? It was a cheap flop. That's the mm. difference. If this was a $2 million movie and flopped, I'd never talk to you again. Uh. A $20,000 movie? I can make another one to triple that, you know, mm. and, and all these other movies you've made have, have done well. So the the issue is, I think of it as a shelf in a store, a virtual store, okay. you know, and, and this is how I think of it. There's four shelves. So you walk in and shelf number one is there and it's eye level. So that's Marvel, Disney, Wahlberg, Denzel, you know, it, it's the movies that are huge. It's what everybody that goes to Walmart buys, video games, cartoons, whatever. We're not at that level. Forget it, you know. Um, then you have your second shelf, and that's where you start getting into, like, the B-movies, you know, your faith-based projects, uh, your, you know, animation projects, your movies with puppies that talk, stuff that, mm -hmm. like, there's a huge market for, whether you like it or not. Then you have your next shelf, and I think that's the independent filmmaker shelf, but probably still a union project, okay? Mm. So there's not a lot of projects like that because as... Indie filmmakers, you can't always afford bond money and per diem, and and actors can get seriously blacklisted if they do non-union projects. And I feel like SAG is the mob, you know, it, it's yeah. you have to do this. So even that shelf is hard to get. So what does that leave us? The bottom shelf. And that's all of us scratching and clawing to just get on that bottom shelf with either, you know, C, D level actors, no level actors canceled actors, whatever it is, you know, no budgets, low budgets. So I think of it as to be humble, we're going to make that bottom shelf. If it makes it higher, awesome, you mm -hmm. know, and we've made some movies that I'm like, why are we doing this? And they've gone up those shelves. You know, mm -hmm. I always use bull shark as an example. Never in a million years would I have made a movie about a shark in a lake in Texas, okay? And I was like, this is dumb. And, you know, and, and Stu was like, it's not dumb, you know? And it has been huge. And we're mm. doing two more, you know? And it's just like, <laughs> you know, we're just going to make it crazy, yeah. you know? And the movie, so basically Sharknado, what- Sharknado. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> you know, and the initials BS, bull shark, you know? Mm. I'm like, it doesn't get any better than that. 
but it's it's like I try to approach these projects as my passion is. I'm trying to think what what do, I want to make a movie about a football team. Uh, you know, I need ten million dollars. Let's just say that's it. That's not going to happen right now. People want shark movies. Mm. I don't want to do a shark movie. How about you? Yeah, I'll do it. Okay, so my approach is let's take that shark and make it a subplot in this movie. What is the movie really about that we can just plug a shark in? So if you go watch Bull Shark on IMDb, everybody hates it. It's like a two-something. Terrible. It's not very good, you know? But if you go to YouTube, people love Bull Shark. And if you read the comments, it's because people understand that that movie is about alcoholism. It has nothing to do wow. with a shark. Same thing with Meteor. Okay, we've done two of those. The movie has those. nothing to do with a meteor. It's about death and loss and moving on. And I think if you can approach it that way, you can stomach the bottom shelf, making mm. a genre you have no interest in, but make the movie about what you want to make it and just throw some meteors in there. Uh, yeah, it has to make sense. Right. But it doesn't have to be like 40 right. minutes of New York blowing up. That's yeah. such a like pro tip from yep. even just like an initial concept concept point. And even like when I go back and look at just some of your resume, yeah. I see that theme throughout some of your movies from Meteor to yeah. Bull Shark and the the Westerns that you yeah. have done. And it's like you, you take these concepts, which you're passionate about the concept mm -hmm. of something like child abuse or alcoholism or death and loss, like these big, huge concepts that all of us can relate to or feel something about when we watch it doing due to knowing somebody who's gone through it and then you make it entertaining yeah you know it's like yeah. you throw a meteor in you throw a bull shark in the exactly. lake in. and i love that concept <laughs> of taking these big things that we can all relate to but then turning it into the fiction entertainment yeah because that's what they want and we have to give the finance people what the market wants not how many times i mean if you want to just be real how many times has a movie shot in dallas you hear about it, it's casted, it shoots, and you never hear from it again. All the time. Mm -hmm. And I can name five or six off the top of my head, and I'm always like, what happened? Post, post, post. There's no market for that genre, that movie. I remember back in like the 2010s, you could make a horror movie with nobody in it and put it on Redbox. The market just wanted horror, more blood, you know. Now if it's not Terrifier, they don't want it. Mm. You know, you've got to take it to that level. So horror is just something we don't want to touch because, you know, it's like, eh, whatever. That Western, Yellowstone crowd, Neo-American, it's hot. I'll do those all day long because you can weave in the themes that everybody can relate to. So hmm. talk, keep talking to me about the market side of things. Yeah. Because uh, we touched on it a little bit even before this podcast. Uh, and I want to touch on it again. But like how do you approach choosing the market of your film? How important is it? Talk to me about that piece a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I think you have to, we rely on, you know, uh, Tiffany's PGA member. She's privy to a lot of inside information. It's not easy to get into the PGA. You really what is have PGA? to. So it's Producers, Producers Guild, Guild of America. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not easy to get into because you have to be recommended and all, but she's, she's worked her butt off, you know, to get in there. So when you sit in on these meetings and, and, and so on, you just, you learn a lot from listening, not speaking. So we don't ever talk in these meetings. And we don't even even, I don't even think she turns her camera on. It's just, 
you know, you're listening and they will tell you like, here's what's hot right now. You mm. know, puppy movies, meteor films. And then we'll get a call from distributors. Hey, you have any meteor movies? And I'm like, it is true what they're saying. So where does that leave us? It leaves you with the opportunity of I can work, steady money, steady income, steady business, doing these movies that maybe you don't want to do, but you can make them your own, like we talked about, and keep that, you know, generating revenue. And then the opportunity will come for you to do your coming of age, mm -hmm. teenage love story. <laughs> but right now, nobody wants that. Comedy, nobody wants comedy. So anytime I see like a DFW filmmaker doing a comedy, I'm like, should I say something? <laughs> I just, I hate to see people throw their money away because I know how much work it is. And then the investor is not happy. And, and part of it too is I used to care a lot, a lot about this. I don't anymore. But, you know, if investor A gives me 50 grand, makes 20, he's never going to invest in you or you because he didn't make any money off that first one. So we're wasting opportunities for our friends, for our coworkers, because, you know, that person would have given you a million dollars, but he gave it to me and I only made him 50 grand back. And now he wants nothing to do with the film industry. Mm -hmm. So my biggest thing is you have to know the market. You have to constantly be reading into what's coming up. And, mm -hmm. and what I mean by that is, you know, we make a lot of original films. Okay, our distributors, people, they're constantly in communication with us and with everyone else finding out what streaming app is coming. What do they need? What do they pay? What? And I mean, that's the part of, of filmmaking that nobody wants to do. They mm. want to be on set, having fun, you know, cutting up on set, making a great movie. They don't want to be in front of their laptop at four in the morning reading about NBC Universal merging with Comcast or whatever it is yeah. and the new streaming app that's coming. That's the information you need. Then you can contact them and see what happens. But um, it's a lot of that. It's a lot of going to shows, going to meetings. We don't do as much of it in Dallas, uh, and it's not because we don't support it, but we don't really get financing from Dallas. We do shoot here a lot, but there's not much for us to benefit out of it. Most of our investors and whatnot are West Coast. Mm. Um, so I just think, you know, the biggest piece of the marketing aspect is if you have, you could have an amazing product and nobody to sell it to. Mm -hmm. That's what I feel is the is the mousetrap. Mm. So just wait, just do what you have to do until you get paid to do what you love to do. Mm -hmm. You know, and just make the best of it. I mean, I've, there's been times we've been driving home. It's funny because Tiff and I sometimes have to drive separate. She hates it. Mm. And as soon as we get in the car, I don't see at the house, she calls me like in like two seconds and she'll just recap the day and I'll recap it with her and we'll talk about what we hated and what we loved. And, and you know, do you think this movie's going to be any good? Yeah, you know, it's going to be short. It's going to be long, whatever. And then we always say to each other, we're getting to do something that maybe 1% of the population get to do. So even your and worst- even 1% of filmmakers. Right at that. So your worst day on set is better than sitting in a cubicle mm. crunching numbers all day. And I think that's where the market I don't want to make this, I don't want to do that. If you have to do it, you're still having a better day than when you were working at Enterprise Rental Car. You know, like <laughs> it's just and and I think that's tough for for young people, yep. especially to wrap their head around. I don't want to do what I don't want to do. 
Yeah. Mm. Sometimes you have to in this business within reason. Yeah. You know, you don't want to do anything illegal or anything, but <laughs> you know, that's so that's how we approach these what we call genre films. Mm. Cool. Operation Overlord. Didn't want to do that. So what did I say? All right, if we're gonna do it, we're gonna we're gonna light someone on fire. That's what I told him. <laughs> and it. Tom Zembrot was like, I know a guy. <laughs> and so, so we brought awesome. a guy in and we lit him on fire, you know, and I was so like, this is the awesome. best, you know, and yeah. then I was like, I'm going to play a Nazi. <laughs> and, and so I did. And they were like, well, we're going to shoot you. And I'm like, if I'm going to get shot, I'm going to go out with the craziest death dance ever. So I get shot and like do this stupid Nazi dance and fall down and everyone just busts out laughing. I broke the prop. <laughs> but I'm like, you know, we didn't want to make that movie and we made it. And we had so much fun. And it's opened other doors for us. That's awesome, man. You know? I love That's it, all, I'm dude. getting so inspired right <laughs> now. The uh, so so can you remember back? So so I see now you've had you have these relationships established, right? Yeah. Which is great. You kind of have the inside track of hey, this is hot. This is what we need, and that's what the commissioner was saying too. You know, you, you start hearing. Hey, uh, your distributor. Once you have that relationship built, mm-hmm. it's hey, do you have a dolphin movie? Hey, yeah. do you have a X Y Z movie? Right, yeah. and you go. Yeah, we do. And you go write that script yeah. and you get it to them and you make it, right? And then yep. you weave in the things you want to do. And I love that. So, and I'm about turning, so we do a lot of commercial work and we're trying, like, how do we make narrative into a product? It's yep. a business, right? Yep. It needs to, it needs ROI. So, how how would you suggest any tips for us and other filmmakers listening to get started, right? Because you, you did a couple of those first features, yeah. right? And you yeah. kind of, you, you probably didn't have those connections maybe yeah. right at the beginning, but you needed to do that to establish. Yeah, so what, yeah. what's some hot tips that you give us? Or or is there a way to, you know, start doing your research? You know, that Joey and I debate, you know, at times I go, hey, I want to start with distro. I want to figure out where we're going to, where this is going to go and how yeah. we're going to get this sold first. But then they look at us, you know, to his point, he goes, nobody knows us. Nobody's going to care, you know, what we're trying to sell them type thing. And so mm-hmm. let's start with the concept and create. So, so you know, any kind of yeah, advice for us to get started? It's tough. It's that whole chicken or the egg. Do I go pre-sell the movie without mm-hmm. a name? Is anybody going to want it without a name? And we've been down that boat, you know, with a big name and, yeah, we're going to take it to, you know, the Asian market mm-hmm. and try to sell this action movie. And they're like, great. Has he signed a contract? No, not interested. You mm-hmm. know, it, so it really to me is if you guys have an idea, whatever it is, it's a horror movie. I don't know. That's Let's just use that as an example. Okay, well, horror right now is like you're either Blumhouse or you're not doing it, you mm-hmm. know, or A24 maybe. Mm-hmm. So what can you do that those people are doing with your project? But you have to be careful there because then are you losing the authenticity of what you want to do? And then I guarantee you in that process, you will come to a point where you're like, maybe I should just do this. And what I mean by that is, uh, you know, I, I've talked about this before, but the path is to to make a horror movie. And that's that's where I am. And this is where the horror movie is. And I'm going to start. I have no money. I just have some friends that every other weekend they'll help me out. You know, I can call Brett and just be like, hey, you know, do you know anyone that does this? And, and I'm going to start going, going, going. And then you get to this stumbling block and there's nowhere else you can go. Well, now you look around and the world looks different from this point than it did when you started. Mm. And maybe the horror movie is not the way to go, but now I can see this over here. Mm. 
a horror movie about this is the way to go. But you'd have never been there if you just stood here saying, I need the money, I need the grants, I need this, I need mm-hmm. that. You're just whining. Mm-hmm. So get to where you can't go anymore mm-hmm. and see where to go from there. I mean, that's how we did it. Let's make the first 20 minutes of this. And if it sucks, we'll just call it a day and I'll go back to selling software. God, that's so good. <laughs> that, that, it's take the action. And I, I again, I, watching this, the commissioner, you and him say the same thing. It's yeah. like, he says, you know, if you look at somebody's resume and they've got 30 short films and you look at somebody that has one short film and one feature that they completed, you're going to hire the guy that did the feature right? because they completed it. They took the action steps and they completed it. Yeah. And I go, man, we can we can keep making short films all day or you can, or you can get into the weeds, do the mm-hmm. action. I love yeah. that, though. You might even get halfway through and go... I can see through the woods now yeah, I mean, in a different in a different angle. Yeah, you'd have never known yeah. that this is a waste of my time or man, this is going to be really good, but I need to adjust. Mm, yeah. You know, mm. hey, I found a, a you know, it, it's a lot easier to get money for your project when you can show them something too. Mm. Hey, I've done half of this and I've run out of money. Then you might have an investor go, "I love it. Can you go get an, a B B movie actor name? I'll give you 50 grand to hire him." You'd have never gotten there if you didn't take the step. And I think it's like that in life in general. You know, like mm-hmm. you talk about finishing. Like to me, college is just to show people that you can get up every yep. day and go to and finish something. Yeah, finish yep. four years yep. in college. So to me, that's it's infuriating when you're just. I mean, we've never not finished the project. Mm. You know, but that would be my advice: is how we handled Apocalypse Road. We're going to go twenty minutes in and and evaluate it from there. And it just so happened that people really liked it, you know? And then it was like, but we had no money. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was, what do we have in our pockets? And then luckily after that 20 minutes, we found investors and we paid everybody. I mean, they didn't make a lot, but, Mm. um, and I don't know that the movie's very good, but uh, it was just, it couldn't have been the way it was in Dumas. I'm gonna try this. If this doesn't work, I'm done. Mm. I'm going back to work because you got to eat, you know, yeah, I had a mm-hmm. child. And it's like, I think that's what I would recommend for you guys is, and I can't stand when people are like, well, Texas is getting grant money. Taylor mm. Sheridan's getting grant money. Mm-hmm. You're not getting mm-hmm. There's nothing. There's a difference. You know, like, come We're on. not built the same. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, if you're waiting on a grant, you're not going to be able to have, yeah. you mm-hmm. know. And and I get it, though. Money is, is tight. Go get an iPhone and, and shoot the first 20 minutes on yeah. an iPhone. Who yeah. cares? Yeah. yeah. It's a pitch deck. Yeah. You're just trying to impress someone besides yourself. Right. <laughs> I love that. So, so uh, and, and I, I know we got to get you out of here to respect your time, but you got two movies this year, yeah. Meteor First Impact and The Follower. Uh, are both of those out right yeah. now? We've, uh, Meteor First Impact came out way earlier. Um, and then The Follower was, um, we shot that in February. And that was fun, you know, and that's out. They're both out on Amazon and Tubi. Which shout out to Stephanie Ustaleg because yeah, we got a mutual friend and she's she was in that awesome. film. She was so cool too. Yeah. She was great. She did a short with us and she's super yeah, super easy to work so with. So easy to work with. Yeah. Uh, we actually met a, a friend of hers uh, through making that movie that we used in Life Forms or hired in Life Forms named uh, Darcy Doyle. And uh, I'll give her a free plug. She's yeah. badass. Hmm. Love it. And I was like, you could tell the dedication that like Stephanie had, you know, Darcy yeah. has. So those are out. Uh, we just wrapped our Western trilogy, which 
selfishly, part of me wanted to do it because everybody said I couldn't. Mm. And I, I'm realizing now that it is, it's a lot more work than, <laughs> than I would have liked because we, you know, shot it in a month and a half, you know, all over Texas, Oklahoma. But uh, the first one is completely done. Uh, the last two are in score. Uh, third one's in edit right now. Uh, these will be the first movies I've edited. Mm. Um, and so nervously, I showed my wife and Tom Zembrod, who's one of my closest friends, the first one, and they loved it. So I'm like, okay, at least I know I can edit now. Mm. If I can't hire an editor, I can't find one, whatever that is. Um, but those will be out later this year. And then the the next thing we have coming out is a Western called the Killing of Billy the Kid, mm. which is really a Pat Garrett story, but it, they wanted to put Billy the Kid in the title. It helps so, us out. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's the craziest film. I had an Italian DP because I was like, I want you to make it the way they make Italians in Italy, or uh, Westerns in Italy. Mm, spaghetti. And, and he's in Austin. He's hilarious, and it's so good. The music was done in Italy. It's very funny, and it's brutal because, I mean, it's... And it, the funniest thing to me is like, there's no, there's no twist, there's nothing. The opening line is like, "What are you gonna do? I'm gonna kill Billy the Kid," and that's what happens. Let <laughs> <laughs> tell you what so happens. Good. So, spoiler alert: he kills Billy the Kid. Well, you know, dude, that's like the new Mad Max. Like everyone gave it so much praise, and don't get me wrong, it's one of the most cinematic masterpieces yeah. of all time. But that entire movie is one giant chase scene, <laughs> and then they turn around and they come right back to where they started, yeah. and then the movie's over. Yeah, and it's like there was no plot in that movie at all yeah but it is such a masterpiece yeah so do not discredit yeah we're super uh and that's a zumo original yeah uh which you know zumo Mm. is Mm x-u-m-o um but that's a streamer you know that uh, doc holiday is an original that came out earlier in the year and then we have this most ridiculous christmas movie coming out in november that I, i don't even know how to explain it it's like, let's just throw everything at the wall and see what sticks and then use every piece of it in the edit. I mean, we're in a trap house. We're shooting up a bank. What? You know, Billy Blair is in it, who's a local DFW guy. Oh. And he's got these thick Buddy Holly glasses. And Tom Hallam has, he broke his foot in real life right before the shoot. So I'm like, we'll use it. <laughs> so now everybody in the script, in the movie, asks him what happened to his foot. And I'm like, just make an excuse up every time mm. until like Santa Claus asks him. He's got to tell the truth. It's, a, it's the craziest thing. <laughs> and I was certain that nobody was going to want it. And they were like, it's pretty good. You know, we'll take it. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So, what, now, what's, what's that one called? It's, uh, it's, it's called A Christmas Heist. Oh, okay. So original. Yeah. Um, it. it comes out November 1st on Zumo. It was part of our package for Zumo of, of uh, the three mo- movies that they wanted. Um, and so those are like, we have other movies we've done that just haven't been released. You know, DVDs dying, you know, quicker than I thought. Mm. So like that Walmart section is getting smaller and smaller. Mm. So I don't think we're going to have a lot more DVD come out. We had a great run with that, and I loved going to get a hard copy, but now it's all shifted to online, Mm. Amazon, stuff like that. Um, So we're just always busy, and we have so many. We were talking about it this morning. We have so many projects on the calendar that I'm just – we start filming in two weeks, and then we have a third Andromeda movie coming and two more Bull Sharks and a bunch more Westerns. And it's just like, you know, and that's why we're trying to develop a second team, Mm. you know, you know, so that we can, if we had to overlap projects, I really don't want to, mm. but 
if I could find DPs that I really are like, do it. <clears throat> you direct it. <laughs> Here you go. You direct it. You know, I had one approach me. I had this Jesse James script, and it's very much like Brad Pitt's Jesse James. It would be like Malik directed it. And I was talking to a DP friend of mine. I'm like, do you want to just do it? Just get on the Steadicam. Just lots of flowers and clouds. <laughs> I have no interest. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I, I'll just show up for the gunfights. Uh-huh. You do all the artsy stuff, you know? Because I'm not an artsy type of guy. Mm, I, you yeah. know, I get bored very easily. Mm. Even on set, uh, real quick, we did this movie called Dance recently, and we had to bring these ballet dancers in, and I'm just sitting there like, what am I doing? <laughs> I have no clue what to tell these girls. I'm like, okay, so do your dance. <laughs> and action. There is my direction. Yeah. And after two days of being in this dance studio, I look at Tiffany and she looks at me and I'm like, we got to get out of this dance studio. <laughs> you know, we got to get to the so next location. Funny. So um, just super happy, blessed to be busy. Mm. I don't see it slowing down anytime soon. You know, if it does, I think. Um, between, I always laugh, between the last five minutes of 90 Feet From Home and the last five minutes of Buckskin, if I had to just hang it up, I'd be happy. Mm. Because those two moments are like, to me, like if you had a vault, I would just leave the last five minutes of each of those films, you mm. know? And they're incredibly sad, but I kind of, not like a huge buzzkill, but I kind of feel like life is sad, you know? Mm. And when 90 Feet came out, they're like, the end is so depressing, dude. And I'm like, that's what happened. This is real life, you know? It. And then with Buckskin, I remember we premiered both those movies at the Chinese theater and just seeing people, like, for Buckskin, nobody moved. Everybody was just like... And the credits came, and I likened it to when I saw The Passion of the Christ. Mm. The movie ended and nobody moved. You just sat there like, can I say something now? Mm. Or am I supposed to be crying with all these other people? So, like, when Buckskin ended at Chinese theater, like, everyone just sat there. And they were like, when can I get up? Is it safe? <laughs> you know, because it's just a kick in the gut, mm. you know. And so, you know, we're just trying to take advantage of every opportunity we get because it could all end, you know. Well, you're, you, he's staying busy, though, man. Yeah. You're staying busy. I love the realism. I'm a realist, too. And I yeah. love realism in films. Yeah. And I, I do feel it, you know, it, it can be dark, you yeah. know. So I'm, I'm excited to check out both of those films. Yeah. I gotta ask. I know we gotta wrap this with the five questions here soon. Yeah, I think Joey, yeah. yep. we got so many more questions. I know, you're good. You know, we're yeah, gonna have yeah. to do another episode with, with Brett for sure. But B twenty two. How'd you? What's the name mean? How'd you develop the name? Oh, what's the story behind? It's all Tiff. I mean, B is you know our last name, mm. uh, but twenty two is a power number mm. that it's a. It, our story of her and I is like a completely different world. Mm. You know, two people that probably should have never been together, never would have met came together and, you know, um, we just have a blast, you know? And um, the, the interesting thing is she had always seen the number 22. She had it tattooed on her arm. It was always just something that she had seen. And then when we got together, it was like we both started seeing it. And mm. we'd go to hotels and, you know, like spend the weekend at hotels and it'd always be like room 122. Mm. And a license plate would be like, hey, look at the license plate in front of us. What time is it? It was always 222. So we got married, you know, on February 22nd. And so, I, you know, it's kind of like that power. It's funny because people are like, is it like a, a B-22 bomber? And I'm yeah. like, no. <laughs> so it was all her idea, though. 
Uh, I love know, it. That's, that's, that's awesome, man. Cool, man. <laughs> well, bro, your story is super fascinating, super interesting. We're grateful to have you on here and, and share your wisdom. Before before we get you out of here, though, we have yep. five questions okay. that we like to ask every single one of our guests. And so the first question for you is, what is one thing that you would do different if you could go back and do it all again? <laughs> From a film perspective? From a film perspective, yeah. Oh, gosh. You know, if you go back and change it, like Andromeda, it affects too much. So mm. Butterfly be careful. effect. Careful, yeah. Right. yeah, yeah. So. Right. Butterfly effect aside, though, <laughs> what's one mistake that you could uh, spare somebody else from yeah, that? Yeah, I, I don't think it, it hasn't come back to haunt me yet, and it probably never will. But when we wrapped one movie... Uh, and I won't say who it is, but we had a, a very recognizable actor on set, and I just told him off. Mm. I just had enough. <laughs> I was just like, you've ruined my last month. This is what I think of you, and I walked off. And I know that it felt so good. You burnt the bridge. But though. you burnt the bridge, and sometimes I think you have to burn bridges. Mm. But, uh, you know, I, I am expecting one day that will come back to haunt me. So I probably should have just left the after party, but... I don't really regret it. <laughs> you know? oh, we'll if you were there, you would we'll have, have done to, the same uh, yeah. thing. We'll have to unpack yeah. that on the it's, next podcast. Uh, I was going to say, as soon as this podcast ends, I have questions. Yeah. I was like, is this movie over? I got to tell this guy. Yeah, right. so oh, my gosh. I felt that. I felt that. Before. Oh, yeah. Uh, so what excites you the most about the current film industry or market? Um, I think what excites me the most is probably... I feel, at least I feel for this summer, I feel like we're going back to the movies. Mm. It's kind of, I mean, at least I am. Like, I can't wait for Mission Impossible, Oppenheimer. I'm like, there's so Avatar good. was just incredible. You know, in my wife wants to go see Barbie. I'm uh -oh. like, <laughs> I would go see that. Yeah. You know, I'm like, <laughs> but good. it's, it's, I feel like we're finally post pandemic, post all the writers, all the strikes, all, I feel like, we're getting back to the point where you can go to the movies and they're long movies and it's an experience again. Mm. It's not like an 80 minute, you know, meteor movie. It's like a three hour event. And um, I really only felt that when we saw Top Gun Maverick in theaters after not being at the movies forever. I was like, man, this is awesome. Mm. I mean, I even like Tenet. And I went and saw that post 2020 and I was like, that movie was great. And everyone was like, what? You know, but... I just enjoy going to the theater and sitting there for three hours. Not everybody does, yeah, but I do. And I feel like people are starting to enjoy that again, you know, where they're big, grandiose movies and not, you know, sitting on your, you know, phone how often, watching. How often do you find yourself going to a movie theater? We don't go that much. Yeah. It's crazy because <laughs> I love going to the movies and bro, you will catch me there maybe once a year. It like, stinks. It's, it's so like, dumb. Yeah. I got to spill the tea and I love my wife, Kirsten, if you're watching this, but she she knew what she was getting into when she married me. We have been to zero really? movies together, yeah, but we watch a ton of movies. Yeah. She just loves watching it on the couch. You know, the bathroom's right there, the yeah. popcorn, yeah. The whatever. And, but I, I kind of go back and I go, man, I love the experience, exactly. right? It is an experience. I loved what you said. It, I think films and Top Gun and Avatar, 
Yeah. Those are great. In Oppenheimer, that's coming out. Those are great examples of yeah. making it an experience. That's it's a whole it, event. Yeah. You're like, hey, you want to go spend three hours with me in the movie? Yeah. In a dark room. We're going to watch something uh, and then you know, we're going to talk about it and digest the, it afterwards. The greatest feeling, I <laughs> one of the greatest feelings is you go to see a movie at like four. And you go in, you watch it three, and you come out, and it's still daylight. Yeah. Out. It's that feeling of like, whoa, yeah, yeah, dream it's state. Yeah. It's the best, dude. That yeah. is so good. I haven't had that in so long. That's true. You just unlocked yeah. core memories. It's awesome. Though. Yeah. <laughs> There's something that hits different too about movie popcorn, man. Yeah. They have got it figured it's out. It's ridiculous. It's got so much butter, but like when you're in a theater, you're eating the movie popcorn. Yeah. You probably have a soda that you should not be exactly. drinking. Exactly. It just hits different. Absolutely. I feel like, I know we're getting on tangents, but I feel like that movie popcorn, though, is almost like a cigarette, and it's taking, like, <laughs> yeah. one day off your life from yeah. every right. bucket you yeah. eat. And it's like, oh, unlimited buckets. So yeah. you're, you're taking it. two or three yeah. days. I'm telling <laughs> so you. Yeah, Whatever so they good. pump into the casinos to make you gamble, they're putting on that popcorn. Yes. This is a total, like, <laughs> rabbit trail, but I just got back from Vegas and had no idea how much science went into keeping you oh, inside for sure. the, yeah. the casino. Oh, yeah. They have no windows, so you have no idea what time of day it no. is. They, they, The air is always cold, so you don't get tired. Yep. They literally pump something that, like, you can breathe yeah. into your oxygen. system. Yeah, yeah. No, no, that's what it is. It's yeah. like extra it's pure, oxygen. It's, it is. It's higher, yeah. pure oxygen. Yeah. And I was like, the strategy that they have to keep you gambling is so high level. Yeah. They definitely have to do that in the movie They, they even, um, this pit boss once told me that the speakers yeah. in the casino on the floor are all set to different frequencies mm. because they want you to hear the music and be drawn closer in to, like, oh, what song is that? Bro. And then... Even oh the fragrance, gosh. like at the Cosmo in Vegas. And the patterns on the candle. carpet. Yeah. So the patterns on the carpet <laughs> are all custom made to like make your eyes drift back towards right the, into the, middle. the slot uh, machine. It's and crazy. I, and it, there's so much minutia there. And the, and the lights uh, all oh, it's, across it's there. Ridiculous. It's all stimulation. Yeah. Dude. It's awesome. Yeah. Okay. We got totally <laughs> off track, but I love it. <laughs> so, um, man, what is one piece of advice that you can give to filmmakers who are trying to grow in their craft or their business? I always go back to the same thing. I was young and stupid and went for producers that had no clue what they were doing. And so ask questions of your producers. I was just like, yeah, my movie's gonna get made. And then these producers just destroyed it. Mm. And, and at the end of the day, they're not in this business anymore because of, of things like that. And I remember, you know, being on set and just like, you know, Tiff would come up to me in the morning and I'd just be like, I don't know what's happening. And Steve Mathis, uh, he's a, world famous uh, gaffer. He did like Halloween, Jurassic Park, Moulin Rouge. Epic. He was working on this movie. Mm. I don't know how we got him. And he would come up to me like, son, you got to put your foot down every day. And I was just afraid to. And then uh, quick tangent, you know, in the edit, I really wanted the movie to begin a certain way with the bad guys kind of cutting it up to start the movie. And I was like, because you got to draw the audience in. And Steve's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, they won't do it. The producers won't do it. So he drove down from Oklahoma City, and he's like, what do you want me to say? And I'm like, tell them what I told you. And he's sitting there, and we're watching the movie. <laughs> the movie ends, and I look at him, and he looks at me, and he goes, you know what would be a great idea? If we put those bad guys in the very beginning, and the producer's are like, yeah. Mm. And I'm like, dude, I've been telling you that for like 
Six weeks. Chess, not checkers, yeah. my friend. <laughs> and I'm like, it's all about your producers, man, Sick. because I don't think producers really understand their role, first of all. Mm. And they can just, they can either elevate your movie or destroy it mm. real quick, mm. you know. It's really, That's really good. good advice, man. Um, where are we as an industry headed in filmmaking and what should we be focusing on? In Texas or everywhere? Let's make it, let's make it uh, nationwide. Yeah, I think... I don't know, man. I I have a rule, unwritten rule, unsaid rule. It's probably the first time I've ever said it, really, is like I don't care ethnicity, height, weight. I don't care. It's got to be the best person for the job, the best person to hold the camera, the best person to hold the boom, best person to be in the movie, you know? And it's like I think... The industry right now is in an overcorrection phase where, you know, diversity was an issue and it was brought about during COVID. And and I just think that they're trying to overcorrect something. And a lot of the product that's coming out is suffering because they're not putting the best person for the part or the role in there because they're so worried about backlash, you know. So I think, in my mind at least, we're going to come out of that in a better spot where there are more roles for minorities and people that normally wouldn't get a fair shake will. Um, but I do feel like right now, like at B22, we don't care what your race is, anything, your sexual orientation. If you're a good actor, you're in. Mm -hmm. If you're a hard worker, you're a friend, you know. But we don't go out of our way to be like, we need 50% of this or that or, you know. And so... I feel like the industry is going to come out of this overcorrection in a better spot, but I do feel like we are in this, like, a lot of actors are missing out on work. I have a good, a good friend that has a mustache, white kid mustache. He can only get booked as a racist cop, you know, or a firefighter, mm. you know, and he's like, I used to get booked on everything, but now it's he's missing roles, so I feel like that's an overcorrection. Yeah. You know, if he's great, give him the role. Um in Texas here, personally, I don't have a very good pulse on the industry here because the industry to me here is all Taylor, hmm. you know, and then there's us, you know. So to me is I don't really even pay attention to it because hmm. I don't want to be a Texas filmmaker. I'm just a filmmaker. Hmm. So that's another piece of advice. Don't be a Texas filmmaker. Film wherever you need to film, you hmm. know, and just – but, um, I mean, I see a lot of projects on hmm. Facebook and – I don't know if they actually happen or not because I'm not looking to catch on with them. Um, but I'm always happy to see our friends and, and coworkers book things. And, yeah. and we support as much as we can. You yeah. know? That's super good, man. I, I've definitely noticed the overcompensation aspects in, in a lot of ways, even past just like the, the roles thing, even if it's yeah. genre yeah. related. Like yeah. the market, once there's a wave in the market, that market gets oversaturated. We yeah. saw it with the yeah. superhero movies. And then we've seen it with the horror films. We've seen it... Um, you know, with uh, I think uh, like AI is now starting yeah. to be like the new trend where like everyone as AI explodes, these AI movies. I, I don't even think we've felt the repercussions of yeah. the AI wave that's coming at yeah. us. Um, and so I, I, I feel these overcompensation in areas. Um, and that's great insight yeah. to to know that the overcorrection at the end of it kind of can produce a good result, but we are right in the middle yeah, of it in several areas. Yeah. And I mean, it's, 
think about it as a DP. Like if you're, if this project comes across your desk and you know in your heart that you are the best person for it and you lose that job because of the color of your skin or any, you know, it's right. it's just a hard pill to swallow. Yeah. But that's where we are right now is we want to try to make everybody happy. Yeah. But sometimes you just can't, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and so you're kind of stuck in, you know, let's just <clears throat> do the best we can, the best people yeah. for those parts and those roles. I love it, man. Know? I love it. What is, or who is one filmmaker that you admire and why? Oh boy. Um, it's funny because Tiff and I talk about this. She never knows what I'm talking about. She's always like, who's that? Um, so the, uh, I'll give you an, okay. The, the short answer is Jeff Nichols. Okay. Mm. But it's a, it's a weird reason. You know, I saw uh, Shotgun Stories with Michael Shannon and uh, Shay Wingham, I think is his name, who looks freakishly like a landlord we used to have. <laughs> uh, we used to call him Welker. We used to, but, um, and that movie blew me away. It's just an Alabama weird backwoods story. And I was like, this guy's gonna be a huge director. And then he did Take Shelter. And I was like, man, Michael Shannon's performance in that, when he flips the table, I'm just like, that's a master class. And I'm like, I see what Jeff is doing. He's make then Mud came out. I'm like, now he's working with McConaughey. Mm -hmm. and, but then something happened. And I think I know what it was, but something happened where Hollywood just said, we're not interested in you. Mm -hmm. And he did Midnight Run and it flopped. And I liked it, you know, it was kind of a sci-fi. And then he did Loving, which was, you know, about the racial, you know, inequities of, of marriage uh, back in the day. And I'm like, that was it. You didn't hear anything from him. Yeah. And I'm like, so this guy was on that path and fell off. Great storyteller. You know, he writes fantastic. It's like reading poetry. And then it's funny because a couple of weeks ago, I looked him up and I'm like, he's got like a bunch of movies in pre-production. So he's coming back. So to me, what I admire about that is this guy was on Hollywood's path to be the next big director. And he's still really big. And then he took a chance with a movie that Hollywood didn't want. And they kicked him out to the curb. And now he's back. Hmm. And I'm looking at the projects he's back with. He's working with Austin Butler. So something happened to where he was like, you know, I took some time away. But I'm back with a vengeance type of deal. And I just like those stories. Mm -hmm. I like the actors that go away, the Brendan Frasers, and come back with a vengeance and just take over the world, mm -hmm. you know? Because I know that I've had to personally do that with different aspects of life, you know? Mm -hmm. Like when you have kids, you have to put a lot of stuff on hold mm -hmm. and come back to it, you know? Absolutely. But when you come back to it, man, you got to come back to it. Mm -hmm. So I like Jeff Nichols. I think he'd be great to work with, you know? And I love Michael Shannon. Hmm. I just think he's so cool. I don't know. <laughs> Scary, yeah. but he's cool. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> Dude, that's so, so good, man. I have thoroughly enjoyed awesome. this episode. We really appreciate you coming by, stopping by the studio, and dropping gems. Um, for people that want to get connected with you, how can people get yeah. in touch? Um, social media, obviously, but emails usually. I know that sounds weird because nobody emails, but B22films at Gmail. Um, Instagram is B22Films or my name, uh, Brett Benman, director. Um, I, I'm really bad about responding on social media because I, I always feel like there's a hidden agenda <laughs> or is this like a spam bot uh -huh. or something. But email, uh, because either Tiffany or myself or someone will read the email, you know, if you have ideas, if you want to collaborate, if you want to come on set, 
you know, I will say there have been times that people have emailed us and been like, I want to volunteer, which we say, fine, but we're going to pay you. And one of them now is like our go-to first assistant camera. Love mm. it, man. So That's it's awesome. like, you have to just reach out and be like, I want to help. Mm-hmm. We'll find a role for you. A couple times you do that. And then she's, and eventually she'll shoot a movie for us. Mm. You know, so awesome, dude. Beautiful. So, well, thank you again so yeah. much for coming by the studio. Um, dude, this has been, <laughs> I'm feeling, I'm inspired, man. I feel like I've got a lot of knowledge yeah. and, I, and action. I'm ready to, yeah. I'm ready to go. Just uh, do it, man. Yeah. Just do it. <laughs> I get told I look like Shia LaBeouf all the time and I need to recreate that that video man that's so sick well uh, guys if you are listening thank you so much for making it to the end of our longest episode <laughs> yet um, and it was long for a reason because there was so much to unpack there and I feel like I could do another hour and a half right now um, part two we'll have to book yeah, two, sure, man. Brett again and have him back in and by then he'll he'll probably have already finished another five more movies yeah Yeah. awesome man well make sure to comment on uh, YouTube we'd love to hear uh, your thoughts about uh, getting your features made uh, feedback about the episodes who you want to see on the show next yes and make sure to hit that subscribe smash Smash that like button smash that like button that's right man (laughs) well this has been a great episode guys thank you for tuning in to the Rough Cut Club Mm -hmm.